Hi, this is Moria Orr from the Orland Park Public Library. I love to listen to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on Facebook so I can hear all the things that happen during the commercial break. You are listening to Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. Uh, boiling water. You take a frog, you throw him in the water, and the frog jumps up. But the very same frog, if it jumps into a pot of lukewarm water that is slowly brought to a boil... We'll just sit there. You put the frog in cold water, you just turn the heat up, you're going to boil the frog. Well, we've been acting like frogs in cold water. I feel like we're the, the, the classic sort of, what is it, the frog in the pot that keeps getting up the boiling level and it gets up a couple degrees and you don't need, even notice it and all of a sudden you're boiling? Chris Matthews knows a lot about boiling frogs. <laughs> he used to be one until someone kissed him and turned him into a boiling prince. Well, I want to hear the haiku one more time. Okay, here we go. Drum roll. A frog in water never hears it boil in time. Dude, we are that frog. Words to live by. <laughs> it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will Good planets are hard to find Good planets are in the main This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts Every tree needs a champion Go to Bartlett.com Jet streams, perfect air And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak Good planets are Hey, everybody. Hey. Wake up. Wake up. What? You're late. You're late. You're late for work. For a very important date. You're late. You're late. You missed the. You missed. Oh, you're you're so fired. You are so fired now. Well, wait a second. Actually, you get an extra hour. Yeah. I know. I just like doing that to people. Just just scare the heck out of them on the day that we changed. What did I miss? What did I miss? All I know is I got an extra hour of sleep, and we come in here, and the clock says an hour later. So don't pay attention to that clock. And a minute. And a minute. Yeah. Oh, it's an hour, it's an hour and a minute. You know, it needs to be an hour and like 43 seconds off. That'll just make everything perfect. Oh, my goodness. And on top of it, we had snow this week. Everything, we, we went from September to December. We were singing Christmas carols. And, and, and all I got to say about that is, oh, Andrew, that's that's the last thing on the board that comes up. You're despicable. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, We're excited today to be talking to Kelsey Shaw from Possibility Place, which is in Monee, Illinois, which is down south of Chicago. But they do uh, native plants. And this guy, he knows his stuff. And he's... He's not your average commentator, 
on uh, that kind of planting. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the uh, the headline for my blog for today's show. Quote: "Tidy thoughts are for losers." <laughs> I love that. That was in his email. Uh, it was. So uh, Kelsey and uh, and Peggy and I are going to wax poetic as we lurch into winter, skipping November, skipping Thanksgiving. We're just like slipping and sliding into November. Uh, absolutely, and he's got some radical thoughts um, cool. ab- about planting stuff and keeping a mess in your yard, uh, a healthy mess. I like that, as mm-hmm. you know. I like a little chaos in in my yard. Hey, hey, hey. No, no, no. We're not done. I know we're not. I know. We're coming back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Kelsey Shaw is up next. Stick around. I think you're going to enjoy it. When it comes to tree care, it's all about the science. Well, there's love and history and family, too. But you definitely want the best science for your trees. That's why you should contact Bartlett Tree Experts at Bartlett.com. With 120 offices around the world, including Canada, England, and Ireland, Bartlett is the largest residential tree care firm in the world. Their work is backed by the science of the Bartlett Research Laboratories in North Carolina. They pioneered integrated pest management or IPM in the 1970s, introduced the first organic fertilizer, and now Bartlett is the first and only tree care company to research the benefits of biochar on urban soils and tree health. At the same time, they're focused on you and your needs, meaning that they'll do the right thing for your tree and you. Put science to work for your trees. Get a free estimate today because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Illinois has become a national leader in solar energy installation, and right now you can save 60 to 70% on installation costs. You want it for your home or business, but you don't know where to start. So give our friends at Albright Solar a call. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions, and we've worked with them for a decade. They're good people, and they know their stuff. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. Farm Forward is helping to change the way our world eats and farms to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. We are changing policy, changing farming, and changing the story by working with farmers to build alternatives that put animals, farmers, and communities first. To learn more about Farm Forward's work to end animal suffering and advance sustainable agriculture, visit www.farmforward.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter and find out what you can do to help. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farm Forward. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. As I mentioned earlier, we're very pleased to have Kelsey Shaw on the... And he drove all the way up here uh, from the middle of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> the middle of nowhere? <laughs> I did that. You probably just, went through three cups uh, of coffee on the way up here. I just oh, did that to get a rise just, out of you. One really big one. <laughs> He's got the big gulp coffee. Oh, my goodness. And uh, and wow, I'm still... Okay, let's let's try for a stereo signal here. No, that doesn't... <laughs> well, switch the box. Hold on. Uh, uh, just talk amongst there yourself. There we go. Uh, Kelsey is the partner and botanist from Possibility Place Nursery in Monee, Illinois. 
Uh, and partner is interesting given that it's a family business. Your dad started, what, mm-hmm. 20... 41 years ago. 41 years ago. Why does it wow. say 26 on uh, we the website? Have, we have yet to update it. Are you serious? That's an I was old, looking that's at an it old website. That's an, that's a, that, one was a, that was an overlook. It was a carryover from the old site. Yeah, we uh, a carryover for fifteen uh, years. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. That that would be my responsibility too. Uh, oh, okay. That's well, why they that, grow plants. Thanks and not for websites. pointing that out. I appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> good grief, man. Oh my. Now I got Now I'm going to have to fix that on Monday. Yes, but you have an extra hour to do it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I wish it worked like that. <laughs> Uh, mm. And so, <laughs> forty-one years. Yeah, nineteen seventy-eight. Wow. Yeah, and so. now you've grown up in the business. Your brother has grown up in the business, mm-hmm. but you are one of the partners, right? Now. Yeah, my, my brother, uh, my father, and myself. Uh, uh, Connor's semi-retired at this point, and um, not if... not retired enough. No, <laughs> not to take uh, Peggy and me uh, out on a tour. Oh, uh, he, he loves driving that thing around. What it, what is that thing? Uh, his, 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 uh, his the, uh, ATV, the yeah. Kubota. Yeah, his Kubota. He, the, anybody who comes yeah, in, I knew there was a fancy name for it. I have no idea. Uh, Peggy's going, oh, you got a Kubota, and I'm like, what the heck is a Kubota? I oh, you could no drive idea. through a brick wall with it, and, and he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> he drives, drives it like he's trying to. Anyway. Actually, the best part of your website, and you can go to possibilityplace.com. Uh, is seeing your dad with the dogs running in front oh, yeah, yeah. of the Kubota. The new uh, the new video that we put up. Uh, well, you got the new video. How come you still got the old years? Yes, I, I know. know. I got to I'll fix it. I'll fix it. <laughs> okay. Now we came here to talk about plants, man. Right. <laughs> Let's talk about plants because uh, I love what you said. Uh, I, well, and I got to call it up here because I, I realized I didn't I didn't load it here. But I love what you said uh, uh, about plants and 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 peggy do you have it in front of you because i don't have the quote oh here we are tidy thoughts are for losers you wrote that to me (laughs) and i said that's going to be the title of the Mm -hmm. blog post tidy thoughts are for losers now folks we're we're talking about gardening here yeah all right (laughs) nobody's really a loser with gardening but yeah and you followed it up something about dirt as well uh i forget and I'd have to go back to the seat. Think dirty. dirty. Think dirty. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 exactly. So what do you mean by that? Well, when it comes to uh, our, our our philosophy is, is, is if you produce a, a, a quality plant and you're putting it out into an environment, you have to let it become what it's supposed to. Uh, and if you overmanage it or you, you overclean it, overmaintain it, it, it sometimes can – have a detrimental effect. So the more messy or dirty that you let it kind of get, the healthier it tends to be over a longer period of time. So if you don't over-fertilize, you don't over-pesticide uh, use to keep bugs off and things of that nature. Now, admittedly, there are problems, and you probably need to pay attention to some of the uh, some of the pests that are out there, um, viburnum and those you kinds might. of things. You might, yes. Um, so, uh, but I, well, okay, here's what I have found, and, and again – this is my own experience gardening, not as long as you have, but for <laughs> for about 25 years, okay? Um, I have found, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, most gardeners never encountered those kind, all those, a lot of those, let me say, not say all of them, but a lot of the, the pests and diseases that you read about in the extension bulletins and that sort of thing, they almost never encounter encounter them in their own backyards. Uh, there's, no, there's been quite a flood lately. 
right. I, I'm, um, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, no, so. I, I can't. Uh, I, we haven't at the nursery. We haven't used a fungicide, miticide, or pesticide on in uh, for our our production material. Like so, the things that we make available for the public in almost forty years. Um, okay. So, so, so even if you do have those pests, you don't need to use that stuff. It may, maybe not. Uh, there are certain okay. there are certain circumstances. There's <laughs> you gotta, you know, you gotta I qualify yeah, everything. I gotta, that's I, good. Well, that's yeah, good. I, I got no, no absolutes. Though. Yeah, there's no absolutes. So, I mean, if you have a if you have an over infestation and you're in an area where the predator doesn't exist, or it's just something that even if you were to release it, uh, release the particular predator for this insect, that you would be still overwhelmed. So, and there are also other bugs that don't have a predator and why you're seeing so much like the emerald ash borer and, and things of that nature that have just kind of exploded and, and, and done so much damage. Mm-hmm. So there, there are reasons to treat. However, we just don't. I don't know if that well, might... Well, because you, you work in natives and you try to do it as sustainably as possible. And as close to nature as we can right. reasonably do and still produce a, a quality plant. In fact, folks should know, and this gets into the whole subject of what's a native, and there are other things. <laughs> yeah, and I asked you... Our, our lobby no, question. You did. I did yeah. an article for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine about that, I want to say a dozen years ago, and I interviewed your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got, And then we were already talking about the concept of native var. And if you're listening to this, you don't never heard what a native var is. It's basically a variety that started as a native plant and then somebody's bred f- to get a certain characteristic, right? Yeah, and um, it's it's been going on for decades and decades. Uh, recently, the, uh, the, the popularity of the term native var has kind of taken off. And it, for good or for bad, it has gotten people more engaged in, in it, mm-hmm. but it's still a cultivar. Um, you know, and you're using limited gene uh, gene pools. You're 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 ending you're ending up with a plant that is not so much inferior or anything like that. It has its qualities, mm-hmm. but it's if you're trying to do a native landscape, you're wanting to have as much gene pool and gene pull so that when you have seedlings and th- things like that coming up in your yard mm-hmm. or you're collecting that 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 seed, you want it to be as diverse as possible. Yeah. Because if you're collecting from a native are the likelihood that it the seed is going to come up and look exactly like the parent is probably not going to be the reality of what you're collecting. Right. So when you do collect that seed from, um, I think uh, helianthus is a uh, kind of big right now in the native art kind of thing. All right. And you pull it, you pull that seed, and you try and grow that plant again, and it's not going to be the same. Uh, Echinacea years ago was the, was that way, where they had, uh, I think it was Magnus, the one without petals and just gigantic cone or whatever on it. And you would collect seed from that, and it would just give these weird-looking seedlings with white petals and weird <laughs> yeah. leaves and everything. And the, Go ahead. I was going to say, there's that study at Chicago Botanic Gardens part of, and I can't think of the three or four other um, can't either right gardens now, yeah. where they're trying to decide if the insects are a- attracted as much to the native ours as to the natives. In, if you're breeding a plant well, out and you're taking it from one area and bringing it to another, there are going to be certain cues. There's flower time. There's mm-hmm. the the infrared color on on different kinds of flowers is going to be a little different. The pollinators are going to be available at different times of year. So if you're you know moving into a new area and you're going to be looking for plants, try and find the ones that are locally appropriate, and then that way you're going to be doing much better for your pollinators. All right, here's the deal, and I was thinking about this the other day when uh, you agreed to be on the program. When you're growing a native R, when you're creating a native R, when you're breeding a native R, 
you're not doing it for the insect population. You're not doing it for uh, the mammals or the birds. You're doing it for human beings. And that is, the I would say, the chief problem. And one of the things that I've read, and Peggy, I know you've read this too, there are unintended consequences. So if you bloom... Uh, create a flower that's a little bit larger or a brighter color. It might the, that color might not attract the right insects, uh, or it, or the insects or the birds can't get to the the pollen and and just different unintended consequences mm-hmm. that can happen. The, from the, yeah, the the overuse of of cultivars in general uh, and a nativar is just a, you know a fancier cultivar if, for your hopefully local area. Yeah. Um, and, and there are those kinds of consequences. So if you're looking to create a pollinator garden, you're going to want to use native plants. And if it's a – Real cult, straight – Straight species, if you can r- find right, them. And right. sometimes that can be very, very challenging. Um, I do recommend to anybody out there that if you are in a particular area, investigate who your local growers might be. And therefore, uh, you know, if they can, if they can produce, um, you know, regional plants – yeah. That is probably your best bet for that kind of gardening. Now, if you want to use native ours, you know, okay, fine, no big deal. However, make sure it's an integration, not mm-hmm. a complete use of, because sometimes that can get a little out of hand and you're not going to have as many benefits as you think you Well, might. the problem becomes, and I know we're getting into an arcane area here, folks, but it is important. It is really important. Folks will buy a native R, which is, again, a plant that has been bred from a, a straight species but has different characteristics from the straight species, and they think they're buying a native. So they will tell you, oh, yeah, I'm growing natives in my backyard, mm-hmm. but they have a native R. Yeah, yeah, yeah that plant, the original parent plants or parent material could have come any, from anywhere within that plant's range. So, if, you know, um, uh, an example might be... Uh, and I don't know if there's a native R or a cultivar or anything like that for this, but like uh, Andropogon, uh, Girardii, the uh, big blue stem. Okay. Um, if you're collecting it in certain parts of the country, the, the plant is going to get very, very tall. But if you collect, say, out of Kansas, which is also in its home range, right. it's going to be much shorter and it blooms at a different time. So if you're you know, bringing in seed or if you want plants, then you're not going to have the you know, the local benefit of, of that particular species that you might hope. And we, I discovered this visiting my friends um, uh, Polly and Vic out in Oregon, not Oregon the state, Oregon, Illinois, and they planted a bunch of, of natives and native ours in their on their land, which is a couple acres there. And they, as we were walking through it, he said, yeah, you know, I got this seed from Nebraska uh, for – and it was mm-hmm. big blue stem. Oh, and, he said, and he said, yeah, it, it's going to grow differently here than it does mm-hmm. uh, out out there. And uh, and part of it is is the moisture as well. And as you're saying, it's it has developed over the millennia to it, it's its just, situation. It's from a – if it's, it's from a different – it's it's not from so much a different uh you know um uh, the words are failing me excuse me of course being live on the radio of course uh you know uh but it's just it's it developed in a different place right and over a different 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 soil different everything that made that plant and that grew you know that's that particular branch of the species what it is and locally they get 
very, very large. Even you know, in, yeah. in some of our sandy areas, they get very large. You know, seven, eight feet. You know, or I don't, I don't consider a that bigger. a suitable pl- uh, plant for uh, a small yard in Chicago. Depends on what kind of yard you want. Well, of course, <laughs> exactly. You don't want to see the street? Plant it up. You know, <laughs> you know. Um, we did. Just want one or two specimen plants? There you go. Yeah. It will. And 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 you also have to kind of measure. Uh, I think. Speaking speaking of that, Goose Lake Prairie, I think, had uh, seed come in from Nebraska as well at mm-hmm. some point, and they had a field that acted weird for a number of years. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, we did a uh, we were kind of trying to figure out the benefit, like you were talking about. And so uh, anecdotally, we took um, our straight species of uh, smooth hydrangea, and we planted that out and. We got a bed of that going, and then we went and bought some Annabelle hydrangea, which is our on all the butterfly, you know, the, for the pollinator mm-hmm. lists. And they put them out all over the place, and so we planted a couple. And what we found was is that we were getting between thirteen and seventeen species of pollinator insect on uh, the straight species smooth hydrangea, and two, well, really one and a half because uh, we were, it was the average um, uh, species on the Annabelle and. The one was a predator, and it would fly over to the smooth hydrangea and predate one of the pollinators and oh, fly no. back for lunch. So it was just kind of like one of those things where we were trying to figure out who was utilizing it yeah. and, and when. And I, I've got the list someplace. I just uh, didn't think I'd need it today. But no, that's okay. Oh, right. Send it to us, though. <laughs> All right. That, that is, that's very uh, good information to have about that. All right. That's Kelsey Shaw from Possibility Place. And by the way, you should know, you guys collect your seed from what, 100 to 150 miles yeah, radius? Yeah, as close as we can find it. So, so they're they're only selling native to this area, and there are other nurseries across the country that do that, and that might be California to uh, to Maryland. I mean, they're they're there. You can find them. All right, we'll be back with more. Kelsey Shaw, the Mike Novak Show, with Peggy Malecki. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events, and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa, citygrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up to get our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Are you looking for a new ride? Ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed away down the highway? Zero to 60 in under three seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2019 Tesla Model X, the award-winning all-electric SUV. But you need to get your tickets soon because only 2,500 will be sold. So how do you win? Go to store.illinoisolar.org. That's store.illinoisolar.org. 
Buy one raffle ticket for $100 or the four-pack for $300. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 5th, 2019. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible to win, and you don't even need to be present at the drawing to claim your prize. So get your tickets, the rules, and all the other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking natives, native ours. We're talking uh, messy uh, gardens, a little bit chaotic, like mine. In fact, that's mm-hmm. the, the photo on the uh, on the blog post is my yard, the Amelanchier. And we got to talking about Amelanchiers. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a sec because I'll get us off track because we had a question <laughs> come in during the break uh, from Scott Jameson. Uh, from Bartlett Tree Experts. Uh, see, even the tree guys <laughs> want to go to you, Kelsey Shaw, to, to, because Kelsey Shaw uh, is from Possibility Place Nursery. And of course, uh, as we were saying just before the break, they go out and you harvest seed within mm-hmm. a like 150 mile radius and you grow it in your nursery. So you're guaranteed that, that those plants are from this area and should do well, but it depends on the site. It, as you it said. depends on the site, and we have a couple outliers, uh, you know, things that aren't locally native uh, that uh, do well here. But uh, like, for there, instance, there's some magnolias that we grow. In fact, all of the magnolias <laughs> that we grow are are from it, it, the closest southern Illinois, which is much further than 150 miles. Yes. but you know, um, not that much further from you guys. For for you guys, oh, it's. That's far. Southern Illinois All is a right. solid four hours. <laughs> okay. So, you know, uh, but it, it's, uh, you know, uh, we try and, and collect so usually from Valpo to the Quad Cities, south to Champaign and north to maybe Madison, Wisconsin, but Milwaukee is much more common. Yeah. So that's kind of our, our football-shaped collection area. And uh, we try to, you know, we try and move the sites around so we don't collect uh, consistently from the same spot every year so mm-hmm. that if we're putting out populations of material that it's is from a from close relation but not necessarily from that same population so if somebody buys one and then they buy another they're able to expand the gene source for their particular locale the gene pool is a big deal you know where i became really aware of this was uh, a couple of years ago and it was before uh you joined us at Medaywin mm-hmm. last year but a couple of years before that we talked buffalo and um, we nearly wiped out bison on this continent back at the a hundred years ago. And what I asked the, the expert on, it, I said that must have really kind of narrowed the gene pool on the bison. He said, "Absolutely, oh yeah." And we're we're getting to you know just trying to expand that again. Um, uh, and now a hundred years later, I, I don't know what the consequences of that are. Well, for for plants. Uh, you know, plant migration is a real thing or was a real thing. Um, you know, the the genes move around up and down uh, watersheds and all kinds of things uh, in, all, in all kinds of manners via animal or flood or whatever. And because of that, um, you know, because of the way we fragmented populations and everything like that, we've kind of removed the ability for a lot of different types of plants to be able to spread those genes in that particular way. And so we, we like I said, we try and collect 
as local as possible so that we're not getting too far away. So right. we're not outwashing, you know, but genes. you don't want to go to the same well Exa- every, single, every time. single time. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So that when we do, you know, pass out population material that it, it it's viable. Right. All right. The, the, the question that came up, okay, we've got a, a phone call from Mike McDonald. Hang on a second, Mike, we're going to get to you in a second. He's a, uh, a wonderful photographer uh, from the Chicago uh, area, and he's got a really good question. But we'll, let's get to the first question from Scott, which is about pawpaws. Uh, and what's the what's the native range of a pawpaw? Do you know? Ooh, uh, I be- we can look it up. No, I well, it, it, it's a Simona trilova. It's, I believe Florida to just about here. Uh, it does go up uh, uh, along the coast um, uh, on the eastern seaboard. Somewhat, and I believe it goes out to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and it's kind of so it's kind of that weird rhombus mm-hmm. kind of shape. Sure, uh, as far as a native population, but you could go. certainly grow them in this area. Mm-hmm. We're we're kind of at the northern, very very northern, and it will we have found them viable, kind of like red buds too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, red bud goes further north still, not not, not yeah. terribly further north, but well into Wisconsin anyway, yeah. um, and and around Michigan, and they'll they'll sneak up into Michigan quite well. But like the the pawpaw. I believe, like Big Rock out in uh, in Kane County, it goes up that far. It follows mm. certain watersheds up north where it's not just kind of like around right. when, when it would be normal. So what was the question there, Peggy? So Scott's wondering if um, this was a low fruit productivity year for pawpaws. It was a very low fruit productivity year. Um, normally, you'd shake a tree and... 20 or 30 of them would fall out, and this year maybe one or two. Uh, uh, on your face, maybe. Yeah, yeah, you got to watch out. Don't <laughs> yeah, don't see, look up. If you folks were listening on Facebook, you got to hear a really great story. We're not <laughs> going to go through it again, but uh, it wasn't Kelsey who got hit. You yeah, know. you got to, you got to, you know, don't look up. That's all I can tell you. Shake your tree, don't look <laughs> don't, up. You duck and cover. you're under a pawpaw tree. Yeah. I suppose you could say that with apples, too. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I guess so. But yeah. you shake you shake a 30-foot pawpaw tree, and a half-pound fruit comes whizzing down the <laughs> trunk at you. You, you got yeah. to you gotta watch out. So are there any hints? So for people who may have pawpaws of but going forward, since it blooms so early, um, wait, wait, did we we didn't explain why it was a bad year? It was very. I think it was just very cool, uh, especially in the spring. Um, and I don't think you know pollinators for that one come out pretty early. Okay. And in uh, in fact, I've I've never seen the pollinator in my hand. I've I've witnessed it around, but not like actually taking a close look at it. They're very small. Uh, the, the the flowers were out this spring, and I they it just seemed to not be a good year for that kind of fruiting plant. Uh, our persimmon yeah. were a little bit down this year. The you know the they I had very had, few pears this year. You know, yeah, it, it, it was. I think it was just that kind of spring for those kinds of fruiting plants. Wait, did you did you say? Thanks for the sour persimmon, cousin. <laughs> All right, thank you. You just led me right into that. Thank you very much. This is what happens when he gets an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the pawpaw had a rough year, and the, your follow-up question was how can— So for people who have pawpaws, what can they do for next year? Well, what they can do for next year is not much. You hope uh, hope for better weather, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, do some dancing for it or, or something. Where it, 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 Either that or uh, know that if you have a limited—say you bought one and you were expecting fruit from that, you, you need to have that second right. or third one. And the more individuals you have, the better chance you have for yield. And that's what you're looking for when you're doing it for that. But pawpaw doesn't store too well. Mm -hmm. And for whatever you do, do not nick the fruit. It makes your tummy rumble. Ah. (laughs) Or not the fruit, the seed. The seed coat on it is, oof, it's... Oh, really? Yeah. You had a bad pawpaw experience. It was a terrible taste. Oof. Okay, let's go to the phones. Let's bring in Mike McDonald. Uh, Mike, how are you? 
Good. How are all of you? It's really nice to talk to you. Good nice morning. to talk to you again. Um, tell, do a quick, give me 30 seconds uh, promo about your work and your, and your book is still selling. I know. Uh, tell us the, the name of the book again is? My Journey into the Wilds of Chicago, A Celebration of Chicagoland Startling Natural Wonders. And it's a literary coffee table book that explains all about the wonders of the natural world in the Chicago area. It gives information about the uh, uh, certain preserves that I highlighted uh, that are the finest in the region, in the six-county region. After all, because there's more protected natural area within 50 miles of downtown than most national parks and more native plant species than any national park, we have so much beauty. And this book, is uh, people will look at it and think it's a coffee table book, but there's so much great information in there, too. Oh. All right, fantastic. And if, oh, and, you and, can, and if it's folks, Barnes and Noble and ChicagoNature.com. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Go ahead. You could get it at Barnes and Noble and ChicagoNature.com. ChicagoNature.com. That's my problem. That's yeah. what I wanted to make sure they, we yeah. got that out. Okay, we got about two minutes here. What was your suggestion, Mike? Okay, I want to debut this on your show because I've been thinking about it for a long time and didn't know how to share it properly. And I thought, here it is. Um, I was thinking to get native gardening off the ground. People have to know native gardening. And you go to a na- you go, go to a native gardening center and they'll say, oh, we sell it. And we say, oh, where is it? Oh, it's in the back. Well, why is it in the front? Well, it doesn't sell. Well, it doesn't sell because you're not putting it up front, you know? <laughs> and so I'm thinking, how do we get this? Why not have local ordinances that require a certain number of natives that have to be sold at garden centers and, for example, Home Depot? And I think, Kelsey, you might love it because they have to get somebody to uh, supply them with all these plants. And not only that, there would be ordinances for local ordinances for new development. So say, for example, a nursing home was being developed and they have a certain amount of green space, then you'd have to have a certain percentage of that green space being natives. And then any existing uh, uh, companies that happen to be in that town have like 10 years to transfer over to a that percentage of natives. And that's my whole idea. All right, you've got a, like 45 then, seconds okay. to respond to that because we're, we're, we're going to hit a break here. Uh, we've been trying to uh, work with garden, garden centers uh, over the years, um, and we have found that when you're using natives like that, uh, uh, it's very it's more difficult to force them upon people than it is to try and grow it more organically and get the um, uh, the, the general public to start to buy in. And over the past couple of years, I would say awareness is going up, and we're seeing much more positive movement and use of natives. But uh, that the, the ordinance and stuff, that has to come through. It's uh, a great question, Mike. Thanks so much. Go to ChicagoNature.com. We'll be right back. Want to have a healthier, more eco-friendly Green Diva kitchen? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. The main characteristics of a Green Diva kitchen are that it produces delicious food, is healthy, eco-friendly, and low stress. Let's start by using more dish towels and cloth napkins because paper products make up one-third of municipal waste. Buying bulk dry goods saves money and reduces waste. Please recycle more. An estimated 80% of what Americans throw away is recyclable, yet our recycling rate is only 28%. And of course, always try to buy local and organic food whenever possible. I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. Chicagoans are still looking for new and better ways to get healthier. This 
is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach our area's growing wellness and sustainability market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 engaged monthly readers. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. And now, for something completely different for the season, the Frozen Robins. Oh, holy night. Late December, back in 1 BC. T'was the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night. Talented, funny, unique, the Frozen Robins are Chicago's number one caroling group. Exquisite harmonies, madcap improvisation, holiday sketches and characters, even a 10-minute version of It's a Wonderful Life. They are definitely not your mother's carolers. Go to FrozenRobins.com or contact me, Mike, at MikeNovak.net. Because I'm not just a fan of the Frozen Robins, I are one. And this is a song called Peaches and Regalia. Uh, Frank Zappa. Okay, folks, just letting you know. Uh, <laughs> welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, and we've got uh, Kelsey Shaw on the uh, show today talking. You know, we, we, we've barely scratched the surface of, of your thoughts, but I love <laughs> what you're saying here. So let's let's go to that. And by the way, the key thought, first of all, go to possibilityplace.com. Um, and if you're in the area, you should go there. But as you mentioned before, there are garden centers or, or actually nurseries all over the country that collect native range mm-hmm. uh, yeah, seed and, and propagate them. But yeah, but uh, generally, a lot of the native, um, and a lot of native availability is usually in the to the average public anyway is going to be through, um, you know, uh, seed, if, uh, through seedlings and seed. And so if they're looking for bigger things, they would have to start pressing their local garden centers. I, I visited one in uh, south of San Francisco, and, you know, it, it it's a wonderful place. But when you have a lot of native growers, they tend to grow where the natives are. And so, therefore, it, it's a trip. You know, we're we're not exactly, you know, close to anywhere, but we're also not far away. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to being able to, you know, Put a call in, find out, you know, what's available to you. Find, find your local, you know, your local grower, you know, if it, as long as it's not us, right? Um, the, right. Well, <laughs> not everybody can live near you guys either. But, you know, but there are there are lots of really good growers out there. And so, so no matter what part of the country you're going to be in, you should try at least make an effort yeah. to try and find where they are. Or uh, go to the native plant sales that a lot of the growers yes. supply. Right. Oh, yes. That, that seems to be... Um, I have not seen a whole lot uh, of uh, expansion uh, in the like visit plant sites or plant sales. I've seen a lot of expansion in like where you can pre-order mm-hmm. material and then you go pick it up on a particular day. Um, so it seems to be where that's going. I, I enjoy the interaction. It's yeah. hard work, but I, I, I really do enjoy talking to people when they show up and they're like, what does that one do? And you're running and you're losing your mind, but it, it's <laughs> it's a good time, you know. 
All right, you gave me four <clears throat> points that I put on my blog, and you can go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Uh, first one, why we should use, if not completely embrace, native species appropriate to our local environs, and why even integration of these species on a casual level is okay, but not the end goal for gardeners. And you say in the same thought, learn more about your site before you plant. That's really important. Yeah, I mean, out of all the things that I – when the phone rings and, and when I'm getting the casual user, they already know that they want to use the liatris. They already know they want to use kind of the icons of, of what Illinois Prairie is, but then they live in the woods. So it's just kind of like, well, you have a woodland soil profile, so we have to shift your focus over to something that's going to give you a similar look but in a different environment. Mm -hmm. So because you don't live out on the prairie, we'll, we'll see what we can do for you in this particular environment. All right. How to remove native plant stigmas of weedy, aggressive, and similar epithets. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Natives are used far more than most think. But mostly as varieties or cultivars, we mm -hmm. talked about cultivars earlier, it's important to use straight species and seed-grown material. I love the last line, don't worry about the neighbors. Exactly. Well, um, what do you mean by that? Well, if you live... <laughs> I think I know what yeah, you mean. You think, right? Well, yeah. if, you live, if you live in an HOA or you have areas where there are rules that you are to follow, I know uh, for Will County, for example, you can't have a ditch that gets taller than, I think, 24 inches. But your ditch completely floods. You can't grow grass. You can't mow it. So then well, why why on earth wouldn't you just take, say, like iris and just, you know, the native iris and, and line it out? You're saying you can't grow a plant in your ditch that goes above 24. Yes. It, okay. So they've got the, you, you know. Said that you said the ditch couldn't be higher than 24. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't even understand that. Sorry okay. about that. But, you know, it, but it's it, there are these weird kind of rules that, kind of, that, that go into the, the – what you can and cannot do with your garden. And, uh, you know, and if you have maintained beds – then switching out a non-native with a native, even if it's, you know, a prairie grass or a woodland sedge or if it's liatris or, a, you know, a native shrub, these are just nice casual ways to kind of get these natives mm -hmm. into, into your landscape, but just make sure that they are adaptable to that site. If you have super compacted soil, well, then Viburnum acerifolium or, or something that's more sensitive is not going right. to do well for you, but something like Corliss americana or, uh, or like Viburnum prunifolium might. So, you know, we just, you shift focus a little bit to try and, and adapt if you don't your... know what those plants are, that's why you go to these sites <laughs> and you, and you yeah. look them up. No, it's okay. And and are there, I presume there's some guides out there too of if you have this type of soil, this would be there, a better There's negative. actually not. Really? Um, then I, not not for the casual user. Uh, uh, Ptolemy's book, The First 100 Pages and right. everything will help the average gardener get in, in a Doug good... Ptolemy, yeah, Doug yeah. Ptolemy. Doug Ptolemy, yeah. Uh, you know, it, he, that, that, that first 100 pages will definitely get you to a, a better spot with understanding... Uh, what's going on there but like just for like if you have compacted soil there's not a whole lot of resources the morton arboretum has some uh we have a little bit you know the, the, otherwise so it not, sounds like it, somebody needs to write this book <laughs> there's your there's next not, project yeah, there you go. Not, that's what i need to do <laughs> uh, but it, it yeah there's no just like kind of manual for the average person that's on a we'll call it a uh, a gardening level mm -hmm. it's always it's like bring into this heavy equipment do this and you know it, it makes it more difficult there's not uh, a whole and, lot of and i'm stuff. telling you this is where we're, why we do this and we're trying to reach out to average gardeners we want them to do to put natives in but if it's that difficult if it's jumping through hoops of fire they're not going to do it no and it uh, makes it much and more if difficult. they have a bad experience i bought all these plants they all died 
in, All right. in there. Yeah. And speaking of that, another point you make is look at quality of material from growers and don't overlook the roots. I love popping a, a, a plant out of the pot at the nursery and just looking at the roots and seeing what they look like. Uh, no good grower will send material down the road that is bad. It happens, but rarely. Develop a relationship with the grower, with a grower or two, and uh, how to know a good one. How do you know a good grower? Oh, a good grower will have uh, material that is true to species. Um, so in other words, if I say it is, you know, a uh, bur oak, it is a bur oak, you okay. know, uh, that, you know, we've done our due diligence uh, as growers, not me in particular, but, um, you know, they've done that. They've done their work. They've made sure that the seed, that, the seedlings that they have transplanted and made available to you are what they are supposed to be. The root material uh, see, and when you grow something from seed and you plant it at the right level, that means that all the roots are going to be descending. There's not a whole lot of, you know, uh, collar grabbers. Or and I want to like get that. this last one in. All right. Because this might be the most important one. Don't be sentimental. Mm-hmm. Planting for you is important, but these are not dogs or cats or the yard your grand. Your grandma cared for 1,200 miles away. You live in a special place. Embrace the possibilities. Of exactly. It. It's it, so, and don't be afraid to rip stuff out if it's exact, not working. Yeah, if you're, you know, if if it's it, you can't be sentimental about it. It's like on. I've seen people plant the same thing over and over and over again and had it fail every time, and then they come in on the fifth or sixth time and they're like, I don't understand why this didn't grow. Well, what is it? Well, this is a plant from Tupelo, Mississippi. You know, you're like, well, yeah. you're in Chicago. I, yeah. I, I'm like, there, I can I can think maybe of two species that would grow from there to here that would be, you know, well. Because they grew up with that. They grew they, up with that. And it's like, I am going to have one. And I, every time I tell them, like, then you, what you do is you get a big pot. You put it in there. You put it out on your porch or your deck. You enjoy it. You put it away in the winter. Right. And, you you know, take it for walks or whatever. It take is, a nice photo of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, frame it on the wall. Do something different don't let it occupy space in your yard where you can have a more successful experience with a local species that is going to give you the beauty you're looking for and wherever you are in the country figure out what the local species are and talk to the right people you know visit your arboretum your master gardeners visit these people they know to an extent they can give you good information kelsey shaw this has been fantastic partner botanist possibility place for those of you listening to the full show we'll be back with the second hour for our friends on smart talk Go green or go home. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make 
me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And boy, it was fun having Kelsey on the show. We're going to have to do that again because we, we didn't even begin to touch. I mean, uh, in the lobby before the show, we were talking about amelanchiers or service berries and um, the different kinds that are out there. And apparently there's mm-hmm. a lot of cultivars. And he said, well, I wouldn't call them cultivars. And then he goes and we get, <laughs> went down this rabbit hole about what, you know, what kind of, uh, the, you know, because I took a photo of it for the blog. And that's my amelanch here in my backyard in my that's messy. Mike Novak dot net. That's right. M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K dot net. Uh, and you got a question about, are we going to continue the conversation about Yards. The right way to clean your yard. And we, we just before Kelsey walked out the door now, he said, yeah, rake uh, everything into your garden bed. Boom, done. That's it. That's pretty much. And it. I would add, if you got a lawn, you know, and people say, oh, we can't, we can't uh, uh, leave, leave leaves on the lawn. It'll kill the lawn. Okay, fine. Put them there, in your garden. You can put them in your garden or you can just mow them, mulch them on your lawn, mm-hmm. and they'll break down. And by the spring, you won't even know that they were there. Uh, but mostly, I just uh, I just rake them into my yeah. garden bed. And then, uh, for you folks that have lawns, as soon as it dries, because I know it's been wet the last few days and snow and <laughs> what happened? <laughs> um, if your lawn is tall, cut it short. Last Mow of the season, okay, is short. That way you don't get as many diseases over the winter on your lawn. And going into the spring, you don't want that. Kelsey even suggested throwing down some more seed. Uh, Yeah, Uh, clover is what he said. Mm -hmm. Get some, you know, uh, get some of that going uh, uh, as well in your lawn. And if you're cutting down perennials, keep them tall. So the insects have a place to go. I leave my perennials up. Well, and, I've got uh, some big, tall, four or five foot. Well, you could have to be halfway. Cut. Yeah, you know, but you're going to leave the stalks up for the insects. Sure, leave the stalks up for the insects, and that's why you leave the leaves there too. In fact, I got an email about that from I can't even remember, and I'll never find it right now. But it was some uh, wildlife service in Minnesota, and they said, mm-hmm. "Hey, Mike, you should talk about this on your show." And I went, "Boy, I'm going to give them a call and do that." All right, and uh, I want to mention that uh, next Saturday, November 9th, from. 8.30 to 1.30, uh, Wild Ones, Lake to Prairie Chapter is doing Creating Beautiful Native Communities. And I mention this not just because Kelsey Shaw is going to be speaking there, and you want to hear him, you want to head out there. Uh, it's in Round Lake Beach Cultural and Civic Center, Round Lake Beach, Illinois. Uh, the keynote is Rory Click, uh, and I know Rory, uh, will focus on the basic tenets of ecological restoration or even ecological restoration that every home gardener should know. So this is a follow-up of what we've been talking mm-hmm. about on the show today. And then uh, John Mariani, uh, Native Landscapes with Visual Appeal, will talk about designing for your yard. So again, Saturday, November 9th, uh, 8.30 to 1.30 p.m., Round Lake Beach Cultural and Civic Center, Round Lake Beach, Illinois. And we got that information yesterday at the Green Living Expo at McHenry. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We have, I think we have more than 500 views of the... Uh, the... Oh, it's way higher than that now. Oh, really? Uh-huh. We did some videos yesterday, and one of them was the uh, University of Illinois uh, car that had, gets... The, the long-distance mile cars. 5,000 miles to the gallon. 
Ron Calgill, if you're listening, 5,000 miles to the gallon. If you figure it out, the, you know, if you do the equivalent of, of gasoline. So there you go. All right. When we come back, we're doing another follow-up on a topic we've been talking about now for, what, two years? Which is uh, carriage horses in the city of Chicago. Do they belong here? Do they not? Uh, Jody Whitaker is here from the uh, Chicago Alliance for Animals. And you're welcome to call in, 877-711-5611. It's controversial. We'll take your calls. We'll be right back. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants, you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events, and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa. CityGrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. You want to install a solar energy system for your home, but you're afraid you'll be overwhelmed by choices and jargon. You need to talk to our friends at Albright Solar. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions. They take the confusion out of the process and make solar simple, giving you the confidence to enjoy your investment. Harness the power of the sun. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. KHJ Los Angeles. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Yeah. You know what we are on? We are on AM radio. We are on FM radio. We are on podcasts. We are on TuneIn. We are streaming on Facebook. Uh, we're all over the place. So welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malenke. A uh, couple of quick shout-outs here before we talk to Jody. Uh, one is you heard of the commercial for Rich's Fox Willow Pines. Just so you know, final day of that is November 16th. And at noon, they will be having pizza. That's a Saturday. So um, a week from be there next Saturday will be the final day for Rich's Fox Willow Pines. And they... They are. They have slashed the prices, and uh, and there's probably some really cool stuff there if you're looking for rare mm-hmm. conifers for your yard. Probably have some hostas left too. Uh, Maybe uh, I don't know at this time of yeah, year. Hard I to don't, tell. <laughs> well, if they're in the containers, they've all gone like yeah, that. So overwinter. Um, and um, uh, open lands. Yeah. We, uh, big shout out. Yeah, you had a question or oh, you had no, a comment. We, Scott asked how the Open Lands luncheon was, which was on Thursday uh, in the snow. Well, we were inside, but we, but, yeah, we right. went slushing at, through the snow at the to Hilton and fro. downtown. Us and uh, 1,500 of our closest friends. Actually, 1,000. 1,000. Okay. Yeah, like 900 to 1,000, but still, it's Honored like crazy. Uh, Stephen Packard, Conservationist of the Year. Uh, who's uh, in its richly deserved honor for Stephen Packard. And it was, I got to tell you, um, 
Uh, Kathleen went for the first time, and she said, I have never seen so much schmoozing in my entire, <laughs> all these environmentalists, a thousand environmentalists in the same room, and they're just, yeah, that, 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 and, and they do, and you're out in the uh, lobby area, and they dim the lights so you'll come in, and nobody's paying any attention. And they start ringing a bell, no one's paying any nobody's attention. Nobody's paying it. No, we're still talking. Well, they did it at like, the, the, the luncheon was at noon, and they, they dimmed the lights at 11.10. I went, no! That's because it takes an hour to get everyone into the room. I know. I'm not going in there. I'm, I'm going to keep talking. So it was a great event. Open Lands is a wonderful organization. You should support it if you can. We do the best we can on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki because we love the work that Open Lands does. And so that's basically all we got to say about that. All right. Let's get to this subject that now, boy, we've been talking about for a while. I was looking at... Uh, Last year's blog, almost exactly a year ago, we had you on the show, yeah. Jody. Jody yeah. Whitaker, who's with the uh, uh, the Chicago Alliance for Animals. Yeah. Um, and uh, here's what I wrote a year ago. And I wrote this a year ago, okay? So what I wrote was, almost a year ago... <laughs> It's like we just it's like it's like a time warp here. An ordinance was introduced into the city of Chicago Council that would figuratively change the city's landscape. At the time it was ordinance 02017-8598, but now it's got a new number 02019-4125. And you know it because I you put it in all the titles of your emails that go out and we'll get to that in a second. Uh it was co-sponsored by Alderman Brendan Riley, Brian Hopkins and Raymond Lopez. Um, it would delete all of the language governing city licenses and regulations for horse-drawn carriages and replace it with the single sentence that would mark the beginning of the end of the industry. It states, quote, no horse-drawn carriage license shall be renewed. That's pretty simple stuff, isn't it, Jody? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, but what happens after that is not simple at all, is no, it? No, no. And it really need, should be. It shouldn't be difficult. No, it shouldn't. So let's let's walk our listeners through some of what you've been going to because you started this organization in 2015, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and um, did you immediately begin documenting the? No. No, not right away. We uh, we did a monthly educational outreach down by the horse carriage stand where we got signatures on a petition uh, from locals, tourists, uh, suburbanites. Um, and we handed out literature and it was very, you know, we did it once a month. And then, um, after doing this for about a year, I realized this is not going to, this is not what's going to happen. You know, this is not going to make change. No, exactly. And so we, we started, uh, researching the laws on the books, the animal welfare laws and, and the laws that are on the books that are meant to protect the public. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we started going down, uh, the first day was in August of, well, we, I should say in 2016, but the first long day, which was from like about 10 in the morning till 1 a.m. on a Saturday. It uh, was in August 2017. And we, what we witnessed were, was really heartbreaking is every horse was being overworked and most of the horses were worked more than double what the law allows. All right, let's start right there. What does the law allow? The law is the horses can work six hours in a 24-hour period. And the city determines that by when the horse arrives, the horse and carriage arrive at the stand, which is at Michigan and, mm-hmm. you know, tower, um, to when the horse leaves that night. They don't determine it by ride. They determine it by how long the horse is at the state stand. Mm-hmm. 
but that's not the way the carriage operators determine it because i've i've seen some of the correspondence and i you know you see things some of the articles mm-hmm. and we've we've attached some of the article and you're you've actually gotten a fair amount of press yes. over the last year which seems to be doing no good uh nothing happens and we still haven't got we'll get into that folks we'll get into that but so the carriage operators say well if the horse is standing there it's not working um and what I, my response is, if I'm working on the auto assembly line and I'm standing there during an eight-hour period, but I'm not actually putting a bolt into a car, am I working? Yes, I'm working. And the operators are, when they're sitting on the back of a horse, they're considered working, you know. So if, and, you know, if one of the operators stated, well, if the horse is just standing in a stable, um, you know what's the difference whether they're standing on the street or in their in their basically mm-hmm. their cage their stall that's just bigger than their body. Mm-hmm. The fact is, is down on Michigan Avenue they're constantly bombarded by noise, by sirens, by exhaust. Um, so it's a much more stressful. As much as they claim that they're bred to do this and that they're fine with it, I don't believe they're fine with it. I don't believe a horse would rather be on Michigan Avenue surrounded by motorcycles blaring by them and and sirens. Or in a field of green, which, granted, uh, the stables are not, like, the most humane place for them either. But I think it's, uh, you know, the law is clear. And and these violations that we've received make it very clear how they determine what the six-hour rule uh, is meant to be. And over the last few years, I'd say, what, about the last three years, uh, you, as you say, you started to document this. And you have... Uh, allies who have come with you. And so I assume you have to take a day and just sit there and document, you know, which horses are being used. And I imagine after a while, it's not hard to figure out, uh, you know, to see the same horses and to be able to identify them. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and once they're at the stand, they're there until they leave that night. They don't you know, I've heard operators state uh, that they the horse went back to the stable for a four-hour break. That doesn't happen. It probably takes a half hour from uh, the stable to the stand. So once the horse is there, he's there all day. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. there until 10 or 11 at night, depending on the day. And is that time going from the stable to the stand considered work time? I believe it is, but I'm not sure if the city—the mm-hmm. city won't even answer our questions. Okay. But the, the FOIAs themselves, the, the violations, make it clear but you know uh the it should be because i mean they're on the street they're working uh so you 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 document this and then you send these reports to the city and what's the department you send it to business affairs and consumer protection okay they're the agency that's supposed to monitor the, this trade and enforce the laws but they don't all right uh, what do they tell you when you send these documents well I, I believe they used to take us seriously, and they they really don't anymore. I was in a meeting with the mayor's office finally uh, a couple weeks ago, and a representative from BACP actually said in this meeting that if a BACP inspector does not witness a violation, it cannot be cited. So using that logic, that's like saying a crime isn't committed unless a police officer witnesses it. Uh, yeah, that's a, mm-hmm. that's that's a little crazy. And uh, we have the video documentation, and every every year they've made it harder and more difficult for us to submit this documentation. Now they're telling us for every single video or photo we take, mm-hmm. we have to have an affidavit for it. 
We have to have a notary sign. So it. they didn't used to tell you that. No. <laughs> and they're de- trying to deter us from doing their job for them. Uh, all right. <laughs> and and on top of that, you've been trying to get this this law passed, uh, which is actually a kind of a different story because you know when you're reporting to BACP, you're you're documenting the violation of these laws. Uh, but when you go to city council, uh, you brought this up and you explained to uh, alder critters about how this is in violation of law and and quite potentially harming these animals. And you immediately got a pretty good response to that, didn't you? Uh, well, um, Alderman Riley and Hopkins introduced the ordinances, and they're the, they're the aldermen who are most affected by this trade. And, and remember, last year, Alderman Hopkins was on mm-hmm. the show with us. Yeah, right. Uh, and he he indicated that he really wanted to see this passed. Yep. Um, and l- so what happened last year, you came on the show and the the – uh, committee that's handling now. What's the uh, the aldermanic committee that's handling this? the license committee? Right. So, and we've been dealing with them recently on this show because looking at this livestock ordinance that got proposed by Alderman Lopez. Right. Um, now, Lopez was one of the aldermen who was in favor of. He's an original co-sponsor. Co-sponsor of the carriage mm-hmm. uh, ordinance. So, the licensing committee last year um, just refused to bring it up. Well, no, actually, they we had the hearing. It, they sat in committee until September, and we had a four-and-a-half-hour hearing. They allowed anyone who wanted to testify on the issue that they were able okay. to. Everybody got three minutes. So, you know, we had our um, supporters, and the horse carriage operators had their supporters. And uh, it was about four-and-a-half to five-hour meeting. And the chairwoman of that committee started the meeting by saying that she was not allowed or prepared to allow it to go to a vote that day. All right, so that's the point. Is that they, you, they didn't you, let you it could, go to could, a vote? You couldn't get a, a we vote. We couldn't pass on it. it. Yeah. All right, so that you could testify on it, but you couldn't pass it. And there seemed to be, and that would be uh, Alderman Mitts. Yes. Um, and uh, there seemed to be no rhyme or reason why it couldn't come out of committee, considering that at that time you had a majority of uh, of city council members who said they would vote for it. We right? believe it would have passed. And it, and the thing is, is it should be allowed to be passed, at least voted on. We're not yeah. asking uh, – we weren't asking the chair to pass it, and we aren't asking the mayor to pass it. Uh-huh. We're asking the mayor to allow it to be heard and voted on. We're asking that the democratic process in Chicago be allowed to work. Mm-hmm. And we're being blocked. We're being this, you know, um, a year ago we were blocked and we were the it was on the the ordinance was on the agenda in September. We were told that the mayor's office removed it from the September agenda. We showed up in October. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm talking too much. But no, uh, no, 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 no. Okay. This is your story. We, we showed up on October 2nd at the mayor's office because she she took it off the September With agenda. 20,000 signatures, right? Oh, more than twenty thousand. Yeah, for sure. You've got more. We than... we delivered twenty thousand, uh, but we have, I would say, good four to five thousand that we've gotten in person, uh, standing on the street, and and we get signatures from people all over the world. Mm-hmm. So this whole tourist uh, excuse is not true. I think the average person no longer wants to see animals exploited for profit. Mm-hmm. But when we showed up in October, October second, at the mayor's office, asking her to put it on the October agenda, she took it off in September. She had. More than a month, and she's she's known about it since at least June to review it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't on the October agenda, so we went on last Wednesday, on October thirtieth, 
So, uh, I, so let's let's keep it straight here. You you went September. It didn't get on the agenda for September. You went back in October. It did not get on the agenda for October. <laughs> and now you found out just two days ago because they they published the agendas on the Friday before the Tuesday that they have these meetings. It is not on the agenda for November. For Wednesday, yeah. I'm sorry, Wednesday, Wednesday, um, and. That what does that mean then? Does this mean because last year you said if it didn't get on November, the law was going to carry over for another year? Right. Well, their licenses get re- renewed at the end of November. So if we don't get this heard on Wednesday and allowed to go, well, to a vote, it looks like you're not. Right. It's not on the agenda. It's then not on the agenda. Then uh, they'll get their licenses renewed. They'll be allowed to. And overwork you'll be fighting. The the, you'll be doing this all. It'll be. Um, Groundhog Day all over again for yeah. you. And we shouldn't have to do the job of the city. Wow. This is, uh, this is pretty remarkable stuff. All right, we need to take a short break here. Uh, you're welcome to join the conversation, 877-711-5611. Uh, we're talking to Jody Whitaker from the Chicago Alliance for Animals. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. This is Mike Novak. The song says it's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you're homeless. And I'm Bill Turk. It's hard to know what to do, but you can design a care kit for people in need, something that will do some good in the short run. And I'm Peggy Malecki. The number one item people need is good socks, high quality wool or thermal. Hats, gloves and scarves are also important, along with hygiene products like deodorant, body wash, toothbrushes and toothpaste, band-aids, lip balm, wet wipes, even nail clippers. Food products can include high-protein snacks, easy-to-open tuna, crackers and peanut butter, applesauce, granola bar, or fruit rolls. And I put everything in a one-gallon Ziploc bag. And if you can, make a connection, offer a smile, or even your first name. And don't forget to include some feminine products, too. You're not changing the world. Just making one person's world a little better for a little while. Okay. This leftover from Halloween? <laughs> I think so. Welcome to uh, CD Roulette on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have Jody Whitaker in the studio with us. We're talking about the attempt to remove carriage horses from the city of Chicago. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Jody, and I would just want to recap this because it's so odd that you can get, you're, you're getting. A fair amount of media coverage. You've been on our show several times. You, I, I see articles in the Tribune, ABC, and other things. And you cannot get the attention of the city of Chicago. You jump up and down and you wave and you send. I've seen some of your emails uh, that you've sent out, and you're very polite but very firm and say, uh, "Okay, here's the here's the here are the uh, violations. Uh, we've documented them. Here you go. Can you tell me what's going on? Nothing. Crickets. Um, and they and it's uh, you do the same thing with the city council meetings. Uh, we understand uh, it's not on the agenda. Why is it not on the agenda? Crickets. And uh, it started with the Rahm Emanuel administration has carried over to the Lori Lightfoot administration. Neither administration wants to say a single word about what they plan to do. That's got to be really disturbing. It is. I mean, we had we were very, uh, you know, frustrated with the Emanuel administration. And when Lori got um, hired, <laughs> uh, we were... Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. She got <laughs> hired by the, by the citizens of Chicago. <laughs> we were really um, 
you know, hopeful for for her to, you know, to work on this with us or at least communicate. Look, you know, we're not, and as I think I said, we're not asking her to do the work or to pass it. We're simply asking that this ordinance that has 26 co-sponsors and 32 aldermen total who have told us they support it, it's got very much, uh, quite a bit of support to be allowed to go through the process like any other ordinance mm-hmm. is allowed. That Allow it to be on the agenda, allow the uh, that committee to vote on it. And then, if but it, it passes, was held up in that committee, I mean, uh, uh, as you said, Alderman Mitz said, "I can't. I'm not going to release this." And we don't know if she was told not to release it, or she has, you know. And and, and this is it gives rise to all your doubts about uh, Crook uh, County. Uh, what Crook County? Well, yeah, Cook County. Well, and, transparency and transparency is no. Yeah. I said Crook County. Oh, Crook County. <laughs> Okay, there, there we go. Crook. She had the extra of sleep, too. Yeah, all well, right, that's it. exactly what this is. Well, it's, it sure seems Chicago like is, it. we've got the bad reputation of being, uh, you know, of not, of being crooked, I guess. And and this is a perfect example of it. You know, this mayor ran a campaign of, of being transparent, of being progressive, of rooting out corruption. Well, you know what? This might not be corruption on the highest level, but there are... Horses but being it's overworked. really easy to understand. It's animal abuse. Yeah. And there are no city employees monitoring or enforcing the laws on the books. This is corruption, and it should be dealt with. And we finally got a meeting with the mayor's office, and, and what they offered was a phase-out, a one-year phase-out mm-hmm. for these horses. Have they ever acknowledged that the laws have been violated? No. So I mean, okay. you've got the, BACP the, saying they don't happen unless an inspector witnesses. Right. So they told you that. So that. So the the that in that way the game is rigged. In the fact that you can't get it out of committee, the game is rigged. It's all rigged against what you're doing. And what really is frustrating to me is that they're not straight with you ever. It seems like they dodge and weave. The city does. Uh, the aldermanic offices dodge and weave. And instead of saying, and and this this would not be much consolation, but even if they said, look, this city budget is killing us. We've got to get this done. We'll get to the horses later. They don't even say that. I had an alderman say that to me the other day about uh, some other aspect, environmental issue that I was really interested in. Mm -hmm. And she said, we're not going to get to that right now. The budget is so demanding Mm -hmm. right now. And I appreciate that because that's actually being being really straightforward. And I understand something. But you know what? This bill was introduced in December 2017. Okay. Then it was reintroduced in June 2019. So the budget is in November. Uh, The teacher strike started a couple weeks ago. We could have focused on this in June. We could have focused on this in July. We could have focused on this in August. We could have focused on this in September, but now it's November and now it's too late. So I'm I'm angry. My volunteers are angry. My volunteers are down on the street on the weekends, all in the cold and the rain, documenting and, and the horses heat. and the heat. Yeah, yeah. Because and that's one of the things you didn't even mention about the horses is putting up with, with exhaust and noise is the heat oh, of yeah. the summer. It, although the, it wasn't a particularly hot summer, but sometimes it is on the Fourth of July. I went down there. I had a friend in town. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I knew that there were going to be horses down there. So sure enough, I went down there. There were three horses being worked when it was 91 degrees. The operator told me, I would think someone would tell me if it was too hot. 
<laughs> and well, I'm like, does, I'm telling you. Does the ordinance you know why? have a temperature? Because the city is not here yeah. does to the tell or, you. Does the ordinance have a temperature yeah. limit? 90 degrees uh, at Northerly Island. So it was 91 at Northerly Island, which is basically in the lake, which is you're bound to be cooler than Michigan right, Avenue, the right. asphalt on Mis- Michigan Avenue. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So the other thing uh, you mentioned uh, during the break was you ran into Alderman Hopkins recently, last week, right? right? Uh-huh. So tell me about that. So we were standing outside the mayor's office trying to get answers and wanting to know why it's being stalled and blocked, and Alderman Hopkins happens to walk by. So I asked him uh, if he could talk to us for a few minutes, and he did. And uh, I basically said, you know, what is the holdup? What is going on? And he said, it's the mayor. He said, it's the mayor holding it up and that there's nothing he can do. He's He told me that he made his wishes very clear to her, that he would like it to be on the agenda and be allowed to be heard and voted on. And uh, But he, he, he only has so much control. So I uh-huh. asked him if he'd be willing to do a Rule 41 at the full city council meeting and in November. And what is a Rule 41? That is basically where uh, they bypass the committee where the ordinance is sitting. So this would be bypassing the license committee, taking it straight to the full city council for a vote. There would be no uh, hearing. There would be no testifying from the public. It would just go straight to the uh, full city council for a vote. And if it passes, you know, a majority support passes, then it passes. Now, we have nothing to lose. So I asked him to do this, if he would do this, and Mm -hmm. he said he'd be interested. He said he needed to discuss it with Alderman Riley, Mm -hmm. but Alderman Riley introduced the first bill, and he was the first co-sponsor with Hopkins on this bill. So I don't see any any reason why they should not do this, because here's how it goes. They either introduce the Rule 41, and it passes, and the horse carriages uh, licenses won't be renewed, or they don't do it, and the horse carriages, or... It take they take it to a vote, and we don't win, and the horse carriages licenses get renewed. If they don't do a rule forty one, the horse carriages licenses get renewed. So we have nothing to lose by do to try by trying this. We again, we have majority city council support, and it makes me wonder. And again, getting back to uh, <laughs> Crook County, uh, how important can this industry be? Um, in the, you know, in terms of dollars, because often what comes up is, well, we can't afford to lose any more revenue. It's like when we're talking about fining people for growing native plants in their yards, the, the excuse is, well, we can't turn down that kind of revenue um, because uh, we're broke. It's the city's, you know, and if you talk to Tom Tresser, <laughs> you realize this city is not broke. And, you know, you talk about TIFFs and everything, and, mm-hmm. uh, and we won't even get into that. <laughs> so it makes me wonder... It's it's not the industry itself because carriage horses can't. Uh, re- there's result. not that many companies. No, no. but it, but I think it's the people who support the carriage industry, and I'm going to name names. Farm Bureau is on that list, okay? And I don't know how much influence they have with Lori Lightfoot, but apparently Lori Lightfoot right now, who who knows? I mean, we don't know, and that's and then that's what. Peggy brought up transparency. There's yep. no transparency here about what's going on. And and we know that she's been being contacted by thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have we have alerts going out to uh, we had one major organization put out an alert to um, I think 30,000 people. So they have they have yeah. she's been contacted and for her not to at least, uh, you know, give us an answer is it's really it's sad and pathetic. All right, we've got one minute, so you need to tell us how people can get involved. Sure. Um, So Chicagoans, well, anybody should join the Chicago Alliance for Animals on Facebook. That's where we do most of our 
action alerts. Um, so, and anybody can make calls, send emails, um, or do the actions no matter where they live because this is considered, or they say it's a tourist industry. So tourists need to contact our mayor and let her know that you want to come to Chicago, but you don't want to see horses suffering on the street. So check out Facebook and also um, our website, ChicagoAllianceForAnimals.org, and Twitter at Shy Animal Rights. All right. You've got all that information. If you are interested, you should get involved. Uh, Jody Whitaker, thank you so much for coming into the studio again. Thank you. Rick DeMaio Weather is coming up. And now for something completely different for the season, the Frozen Robins. Oh, holy night. Late December back in 1 B.C. T'was the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night. Talented, funny, unique, the Frozen Robins are Chicago's number one caroling group. Exquisite harmonies, madcap improvisation, holiday sketches and characters, even a 10-minute version of It's a Wonderful Life. They are definitely not your mother's carolers. Go to frozenrobins.com or contact me, Mike, at mikenovak.net. Because I'm not just a fan of the Frozen Robins, I are one. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Yes, it's the return of Pockle Bell's Chicken. <laughs> and you can actually find this on YouTube, so you might want to track it down. And I know that uh, Rick DeMaio is waiting, and he'll be interested in this bit of advice I have. Some quick advice from Bartlett Tree Experts. We just got our first snow event of the season. I know you all saw it. Bah! Here's what to do. Well, basically... This past one, nothing. You didn't really have to do anything. You it know? melted. It melted. Exactly. But if we have more like this, and we'll ask Rick about that in a second, and you got snow on trees and shrubs, gently brush the snow off your shrubs or small trees. Don't try the big ones. Or small trees by hand or with a broom with upward strokes. You hang onto the branches and you 
you wipe it upward, okay? You don't grab them and shake them like crazy. Don't grab and shake the branches because it can do more harm than good. And most of the time, you just leave it like you did on Halloween, and it melts. Um, if the snow is frozen onto the branches, let Mother Nature take over. Again, just let Mother Nature do it and melt the ice naturally. And if you've had severe damage, well, then you got to give Bartlett Tree Experts a call, and you go to Bartlett.com. Calm. So, what do you think, Rick? Uh, we had we had the snow uh, the other day, and I and I I watched uh, a woman walking her dog trying to lift up a tree that had bent all the way over to the ground in my neighborhood. It was pretty remarkable to watch. Rick, Rick, uh, Rick. Yeah. Oh, there oh, we there are. You are. We, we... I can I can hear I can hear you guys. Okay, we couldn't hear you. All right. All right. Um. Right, so let's start all over again. All right. Um, I, so just, I guess does that mean? Go ahead. Does that mean Indian? Does that mean Indian fall is out of the question this year? <laughs> we haven't had one. Uh, you you have to be <laughs> you determine that, Rick, not us. All right. So you're going to tell us what's we, you know November. It's only November third, and uh, it's already seems and, like December. Yeah, we we kind of we kind of went from. Like early October felt like early September, and then we kind of jumped into like early November, and all of a sudden it's like December already. Um, and that don't you? It seems like that's been the trend. Like our October's have almost acted like half of September, and then the second half is November. We had the same type of pattern change, uh, if you recall, last October when mm-hmm. it was on the tenth of the month. It was on a Saturday. We had like. Winds of like 50 to 60 miles an hour. We had a front come through with snow showers. And previously uh, up to that point, we had a couple of days in the 80s. Similar, to, if you recall, it was a couple of days early in, in October. We had temperatures close to 90 degrees. And then it just it just flipped. Um, but you know what? It's not like we didn't see this coming. You can kind of see the way the cold air was establishing itself over Western Canada we had that record snow in Montana in late September. Then we had another one in, like, the second week of October. Um, and then Denver got their big blast of cold and snow in, the, I think it was the second and, or the third week of October. And then the fourth week, it just all caved in. And it just, it just you know, it hit us. And don't forget, there were two snow events this week. There was the one on Wednesday, which deposited, like, one to three inches of snow. That was actually our first snow mm-hmm. at both O'Hare and Midway. And what's interesting to note, we don't typically see our first trace of snow until the 30th, and here we got the first trace, the first measurable, and the first inch of snow, basically all within the span of 48 hours. Who got hit the worst in the area? Um, if you add up the two-day totals, it was pretty much northern DuPage, northwestern Cook uh, counties, because the first snow event did not even touch areas of Lake and McHenry or Boone and Ogle County. So if you look at the two-day total, uh, there was pretty much about seven, eight inches from literally northern, northwestern areas of Cook into DuPage uh, in southern Kane County. And then you go further up into Wisconsin where they got more snow with both events, and here's Madison coming in with eight inches, wow. making it their snowiest October ever on record. Hmm. But what's interesting to know, this is really important. I think you guys really hit the nail on the head when you were talking about letting Mother Nature kind of take its course. 
what is what is not really talked about is the amount of liquid that came down with both of these events. We had nearly an inch and a half of water go back into the soil even after the snow melted. So I kind of look at this as like, this is great news for the soil, great news for the trees, great news for anything you planted in the ground. We ended up having 6.6 inches of liquid water for the month of October. That's a phenomenal amount, the fifth lettuce on record, and actually the sixth lettuce. And if we ended the year today, guys, this would be the fifth wettest year on record, and we still obviously have a lot more of 2019 to go. Right. I think you told us uh, last week that the record for the year is 54 inches, and we're climbing close to that, aren't we? Uh, it's actually 50.28. I was wrong on that. Oh. Uh, and we are right now, yeah, we're right now at 47. Whoa. So we're only three inches below the all-time record. I know. It's crazy. And again, we still have a lot of weather ahead of us. Now, granted, this week should be dry, but man, does it look cold. I mean, cold is on upon us today. But by the time we get to Thursday and Friday, we're going to be back into the teens for overnight lows, and afternoon highs probably more so um, in the mid-30s. And yet there's another shot of cold air coming down the pike uh, for next week as well. So literally the next three to four weeks across all the Midwest and the Upper Plains, well below normal. Wow. So let's see. We had no spring. Now we have no fall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Peg, it's like... I, I don't know if there's anything normal anymore as far no. as seasons are concerned. No. I mean, it, it really is quite amazing. The only good thing I see coming out of this pattern is that the amount of cold air that we're going to have moving across the Great Lakes should promote some tremendous amount of lake effect snow. And the only way you get lake effect snow is if you evaporate warm water into the atmosphere. That should at least take the lake levels down a little bit. And studies have shown... You get a foot or two of lake effects. No, you can easily remove about two or three inches of water off the lakes. And the real concern, guys, is that the lake right now is near the record level of what it was back in 1986, and we're heading into the stormy time of the year. So if we get one big massive cyclone that produces 30 to 40-mile-an-hour winds for more than six hours, because the one that came through here the other day, that was a quick mover. That didn't really produce anything in the way of any high lake levels. But if you get something that can produce... 24 to 36 hours of 20 to 30 mile per hour winds, you're going to shut down Lakeshore Drive. So the only good thing coming out of this, and you know me, I'm always looking for one way of looking about things in a positive light, is we can evaporate some of that lake water into the atmosphere and lower the lake levels down. Uh, And and that's something uh, you just taught me. I had no idea that lake effect snow uh, removes so much moisture from a body of water. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's got, it's got to come from someplace, right? But no, right. it really does, Mike. It's, well, that's one of the reasons why we didn't really drop the lake levels down the last two years, is we didn't really get that cold. Even though we had that shot of cold weather, there was nothing really that lasted for a long period of time. So that's one of the things that when you start to get much warmer with these warmer winters, you have less evaporation over a long period of time, and it doesn't allow the lake levels to drop. And obviously, when you don't have snow and ice along the shoreline, that obviously keeps the shorelines much more vulnerable. So a lot of little things to think about here as our climate continues to undergo its weird changes that we're seeing. It really is weird. All right, give us a forecast. All right, so 35 to 40 today. uh, We may screech out a couple of low 40s across the area with clouds. Low to mid 40s tomorrow, a little bit warmer. Then rain arrives Monday night into Tuesday. Tuesday looks like a wet day. And then much, much colder for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with temperatures in the 30s. Overnight lows in the teens, 
and the cold weather continues for the next three to four weeks. Eight to 12 inches of snow, I think, is what we see coming at us. What? For the, for the month of November. For the month of November. Not any time soon. For the month of November. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're only at the beginning of uh, November. Let's get okay. the hot chocolate ready yeah, now. Yeah, I know. All right. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> there you go. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, thanks to everybody who's on the, the show today, Kelsey Shaw and Jody Whitaker. Uh, I want to send a special shout-out to uh, Ellie, who uh, did some remarkable work on our Facebook uh, uh, graphics. With Kathleen Thompson. With Kathleen Thompson. Give them both a ding. And, of course, to Andrew, who, uh, who was working overtime to help me out last night, and I appreciate that. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.